Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. In this world, don't we all want to leave a legacy? We all want to leave an indelible fingerprint footprint on what we do. And I think that's sort of the mission of Blood Origins, but... When something happens in the wildlife conservation world, regardless of hunting or not hunting, you, you almost just have to stand up and, and sort of tip your hat and just say, wow, kudos. Especially when you're dealing with endangered species like rhino. Well, this past week, it was an incredible conservation effort that happened out of San Antonio through the Dallas Safari Club South Texas chapter, in which they raised an enormous, enormous amount of money for black rhino conservation. And a, a sum of money that is hard to believe that someone stuck their hand in the air and said, I want to donate this. And so I wanted to have Blake Barnett, who is the guy that sort of started this idea, and Warren Rippon, who's the owner of Buffalo Kloof Reserve in South Africa. And I wanted them to talk about this incredible thing, this incredible legacy, this incredible donation, this incredible gift, this incredible gesture by someone who's actually a non-hunter for wildlife conservation but believes in the sustainable utilization of wildlife for its conservation. So enjoy and please share this podcast with everyone you know that may doubt what hunting is doing for an endangered species like rhino in Africa. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is... <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So it's, it's an unfortunate scenario, uh, what we've been talking about before we jumped on here, uh, but it's actually incredibly pertinent to the reason for this podcast. Um, and as untypical, atypical of me, I do a terrible job of introducing people and we just dive into the conversation. But this time I'm going to do a very good job of introducing the two guests we have on. 
uh, let's start with you, Vaughn. Um, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I know we've Zoomed and we've done a bunch of chatting before about what you do and, and who you are. Uh, but welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Would you introduce yourself and who you are? Yeah, thank you, Robbie. Um, well, my name's Warden Rippin, and uh, I'm the owner of um, Buffalo Kloof, which is situated uh, in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. And uh, yeah, I've been in this business long enough to to know that we need to change things, you know. So all good. I'm down here in the Eastern Cape and just spent uh, obviously the last week with Blair up in uh, San Antonio, the hill country. Wonderful place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, when you say um, you have to do things differently, Juan, what do you mean? No, well, I mean, as you just heard off, as we came online, there was two rhinos poached this morning, 10 miles south of where I'm sitting. And we knew that was coming because it's full moon here. And I mean, that's how close to the bone it's getting. It's like absolutely ridiculous. I've killed all the rhinos up north. And now they're coming to Eastern Cape because we've still got our horns on. And um, yeah, it's, it's very, very in our, in our face now. So Hannah and I were actually flying this morning looking for them. And, they, and when you heard that call, they just found new tracks. So we probably going to, Hannah's going to go again. But yeah, it's a crazy situation. Um, and you asked the question whether they hunt or not. Um, I think because we hunt, and, I, and I, I don't want to touch the money, but because we hunt might give us a little edge because of, in our protection terms, they eco and, um, yeah, okay. so that's why I'm saying it's, uh, it's a drastic situation. Um, a lot of people don't realize the significance of the of what, what's under threat here. Yeah. I mean, even the plants, you know, they're stealing plants since COVID. That's a whole story. I mean, I'll bore you with all of it, but um, yeah, the, there's a lot of stuff going on, and uh, I think Blake realised that um, yeah, when we set up this original idea. Yeah, it's certainly something that is um, hot topic around the world right now. Right, rhinos are being poached left, right, and centre. Kruger Park has lost seventy percent of its rhinos. They have now shifted because of the lack of resource of rhino in Kruger. They've shifted. We've seen. Poaching escalate in Namibia. We've seen poaching escalate in KwaZulu-Natal, specifically in the national parks there, Shishlui and Falozi. And as you just said before we got on this podcast, literally as we were setting up for the podcast, you received a phone call about rhinos being poached, you know, 10 kilometers, 15 kilometers from where you guys are. And you guys have a substantial uh, rhino population that you protect, that you yeah. conserve because of the value of the rhino to you guys, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, um, you know the, the issue with rhino is that nobody actually wants to hold them anymore because they, you know, they're, they're a security threat. And, and I don't want to go into too much detail, but, you know, to get permits to, um, to move rhino is almost impossible. Um, the state doesn't make it any easier for us, but um, you know, rhino to me have to have real value, and it'll only come through sustainable hunting in the end. And you know, before we get deep into that into that subject, is about obviously hunting on age and the correct animal because we have to manage our numbers. Yeah, um, we've got a fence around our property. The Kruger Park's got a fence too, so that's also got to be managed. So doesn't matter how big the property is if it's got a ring around it it's got to be managed and um, so the value in rhino to me is it's got to be reset by by i think the hunting fraternity it's a big five animal it's important it's a mega herbivore vital for the planet for the ecosystems a lot of people don't get this you know elephants and the mega herbivores do a lot of good that we don't even know about you know so i'm just saying rhino needs good value people must put up their hands and hunt rhino because I think that's that's the only way mm -hmm. to protect the species. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's bring in our second guest, Blake Barnett. Um, what Warren is saying, you know, putting up your hands is sort of the reason why we're having this podcast. Um, Blake, why don't you just give a short introduction to who you are? Yeah, uh, thank you, Robbie. Thank you for having me. Uh, 
I'm Blake Larned, and I actually host an outdoor television show. Work very tightly in the outdoor industry. Passion of mine. Television series is Trailing the Hunter's Moon, founded by outdoor personality and and writer Larry Weiss, who a lot of people know in the outdoor community here in the U.S. Uh, I was a producer for Larry for many, many, many years before taking on uh, the show that he handed down to me. And um, throughout those years, I've, I've uh, you know, for 20 years, being a big game hunter internationally, it's become a passion of mine to, to take on more and more of a role on the conservation side. Uh, I'm a lifetime member of, of DSC. Um, DSC has been a partner in the past of television series that I've, um, I've traveled to Africa many, many times. I, I've lost count now in the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, I met Mr. Rippon three years ago, already knew that there was a, that there was a need that the poaching was becoming more and more of a, um, serious problem, especially on the Rhino side, um, in Southern Africa. And, uh, in 2019, I believe it was 2020, I met Vaughn at uh, the DSC convention and learned about um, a translocation of the black rhinos that he himself privately, uh, pretty much privately funded and did receive a little bit of help. And it uh, caught my attention and I felt the need that this is something hunters, the world needs to know more about what's truly going on. I don't think it's ex thoroughly explained uh, on the non-hunting, on the other side of the coin, on the non-hunting community side. Um, and, uh, but the efforts there that Warren is applying, um, you know, are on both sides of the coin, the hunting community and the non-hunting community. And, um, you know, on our side here in the United States with our hunting organizations, with these larger NGOs, I feel that, um, they do have a hand in it, but there needs to be more. There needs to be a whole lot more that I think we can do as conservationists, as hunters, because hunters are conservationists. And after meeting Warren, I just I just took it upon my own. I I, I wanted Buffalo Kloof to, to earn the recognition of the great work that um, mm -hmm. that this operation, that this conservancy was doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was mesmerized. I was, it, it, it brought goosebumps to me and tears to my eyes when I sat in his booth and watched video, video footage of the first or the largest translocation of black rhinos that he had, he had accomplished. And, uh, mm -hmm. it was simply amazing. And this story wasn't being told, Robbie. It just, it, mm -hmm. it wasn't being told over here. It was maybe being told right. in Africa, but it wasn't being told over here. Right. One, why did you... Why did you decide to do that first translocation? Um, well, Robbie, if you've, you know, you've, once you've been to Buffalo Cliff, you'll understand it. It's a, it's a magnificent uh, landscape for Black Rhino. Um, it's, it's got... For those that don't know that, what does that mean, Juan? Well, it's the habitat, so the, 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 the ecosystem that they're in, um, they compete exactly with the kudu for, for habitat. Because they obviously to reach the same reach as a kudu in the in the thicket, but their browsers they don't eat much grass. They'll probably eat between five and ten percent grass if it's there available. But generally they're eating you know all sorts of plants and up to I think 170 different plant species in the thicket. But they're very important for for reconstructing the thicket along with the elephant. So it's a whole process. But um, black rhino are to me as I've always said they like a they're like a sacred animal. It's it's a I mean eight million year old species, and it's the closest link to our dinosaurs, I think. And they just changed the property, and you know, along with the elephant, the day we moved them in, yeah, just changed the property for the good, you know. And um, just a privilege to be working with these animals, and uh, and I did it for obviously, you know, we 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 into um, the big reserve and. We've got the, the, the capabilities because of our, our habitat to, to breed these animals really like, a, you know, they breed like anything once they've settled out and we're seeing it now. So a success, it's, a, it's a success story and, um, you know, it's amazing. I said to my wife the other day, about a month, two months ago, I said, you know, we just need a bit of, this is a, this is this project bigger than one person, this, this project's for, for it's a huge project, and there's a lot of 
working parts in this thing and they all cost you know huge amounts of money and but at the end of the day the final product is is incredible and um yeah it's it's worth it's been worth every cent you know and being a hell of an investment we will probably never sell this property you know it's in a it's a protected area it's in the same status as the kruger park a very special piece of earth and um geographically it's one of the most important uh I mean, biodiversity rages down here, and it's it's really a, it's an amazing landscape. But going back to the black rhino, they've changed our property. They people want to see them. They're just mystifying. So yeah, we we just yeah you know, we just you know mystified by the black rhino. Tell me a little bit more about the project. You, you've you've said it a couple of times. Like, what is this project one? Well, the project. The rewilding mission is something. So we we've over the last eighteen years, no, we started in ninety eight. So the last twenty five years, um, we started buying up property, and uh, I started buying up small pockets of property because the farms were small in those days. You know, let's say a thousand hectares was a big property. So there's I think there's sixteen different mm-hmm. title deeds here now. So some are bigger than and yeah, the biggest property I think was four thousand hectares there, but so I decided to, you know, to to do this and um, rewild. The rewilding part of it was trying to take this property back to how my ancestors found it 200 years ago. It wasn't my property, but let's say the, the Dutch and the English came in and they settled, settled here. But it turned out eventually to be in my wife's original uh, name. But, yeah, that's another story. But I'm saying it's... To take this property and restore it back to what it was before the human being came here. And so that's part of the project. So the one aspect is the black rhino. We, my goal is to breed a hundred rhino, black rhino, black rhino. I've got the habitat, I've got the space, um, I've got everything here. I just need, you know, this, as I say, it's, I think it's bigger than one person. This needs almost an army to, to help it along the way. But and then I've got, I want to restore it back. So the thicket, to reestablish thicket. So the one other side is to, this was an old pineapple farm, which is horrendous to look at. It's got old ruts in it. There's lots of grass to eat. So the, obviously the plains game, buffalo use it, uh, you know, all the plains game use that. But it's not the right thing. It's been chemicalized and uh, I want to fix pineapple lands. I want to restore thicket. We want to plant trees. We want to, you know, bring in the vultures. Um, there's lots so much. Th- there's so many things you have to do, and then on top of it all is the community. You know, we, that's one of the reasons why we got the original twenty black rhino because our community aspect was was spot on, and it, you know, it was just we we took over a community that was really struggling. We brought their grounds. So I paid them rent for for some of the ground where the black rhino roam, and if we sell a black rhino. We hunt a black rhino, and that'll probably be the next five to ten years, I imagine, the first bull. So you haven't hunted a black uh, rhino yet, right, Warner? No, never. I mean, I've been <laughs> in the rhino game for 18 years. We still haven't hunted our first uh, white rhino even. Okay. Because the animal's not ready, and I'm still using those genetics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing there on that. But probably the next 24 months we will have to because of just... Genetic, genetically, I need to change genetics, so mm-hmm. that bull has to go. So, just going back to rewilding, um, and then you know, I've got these crazy ideas, and I said to my wife, I'm going to have to meet someone really special to help me. What I want to do, <laughs> you know, because because the sto- what I want to do is actually a little bit crazy, the long term goal, but. Uh, I've got such such amazing plans. Uh, there's a few hoops to go through with another community down to the south, but I'll get there. But the grand plan is a hundred to breed a hundred black rhino. That's the ultimate That's my goal. Plan. That's my plan. Yeah. And uh, how many have you bred already? Look, I've, had a, I've had a bit of help. We bred eight. Okay. So you know, and it's just amazing how these these cows have settled in. And they have, I mean, the intercarving uh, periods are amazing. But, yeah, they're on their way. All we need to do is stay out of their way, literally, the females. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I can say to you. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's an audacious goal. Yeah, in their favour, they're harder to poach because of they in the thicket mainly, generally. But uh, white rhinos are sitting ducks, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's certainly an audacious goal and something that should be lauded from a conservation perspective. And you know, we want to say we and we like to show. And here's the perfect example of hunters saying, we need to put our hands up and we need to do something that will make a difference. The problem is, to make a difference in this world, a real difference in this world, it takes money. It takes a substantial amount of money. But that's where you came in, Blake. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I... I um... You're right, Robbie. It, it 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 takes an unbelievable amount of money for these types of custodianships. Basically, is the way I look at them. Mister Ribbon is an an incredible example of a custodian of a highly threatened endangered species. Conservation groups don't want to look at these, or I should say, some of these hunting conservation groups don't want to recognize these as adoptions or custodianships because they want to keep them as wild animals and they are wild and they will always remain wild as far as I see it. Um, you know, these translo- the, the translocations that are taking place are not, we're not taming these animals at all whatsoever. And I think that's something that needs to be understood even amongst these large conservation groups. Uh, hunting-based conservation groups. I've um, I've honestly been going back and forth with emails just since we've raised this money about the word adoption or custodianship, that it humanizes the wildlife. Well, it's only going to be the humans, I believe, that are going to take care of this wildlife. And that's the example that we need to be setting, even as hunters. No, isn't that the case, Warren? Like with... with- yeah, without Warren, Warren, speak from, from your perspective, but let's be honest, take you out of the equation, this isn't happening naturally. Exactly. You know, you can sit there, and I, I mean, I mean, species, other species in Africa, such as, let's just say, some of the Plains game species, I would, I would say there's, you know, definitely at this time, no need to have any of those types of custodianships, as, even though, you know, game breeders and stuff, um, you know, are are making a difference, but in the, in the rhino in the, in the endangered species world, it's only going to take us custodians as humans, uh, to protect those animals. And that is something I see the need for on the hunting side because hunters are, con- are conservationists. We're true conservationists that we, um, we do raise our hands to join forces and join hands with, groups out there trying to make a difference on these endangered species but um, but going back to the money side um you know i i approached Warren in january this past january at the dsc convention about an idea and it was the idea of a custodianship of a black rhino and um i gotta back up and give credit to another fellow board member on the DSC South Texas board who basically had had an idea to do something along these lines, but it didn't include an endangered species. And I knew it wouldn't work that way. I knew that that wouldn't grab the attention. And we also didn't want to miscommunicate another species to be endangered, right? That wasn't threatened. Correct. Um, that's very important here, that, that that communication is clear. And the black rhino, no doubt, I mean, you already said it, at the beginning of the podcast, and I didn't even realize that myself, that 70% of the rhino have been poached out of Kruger National Park already, and that's just, that's unbelievable. But um, I sat down in, in uh, the Buffalo Cloof booth with uh, Warren, and I told him my idea, and I think he looked at me like I was crazy, you know, like, should I really trust this guy? I know we've been talking for a couple of years, but I, I had... Um, president of the chapter sit down with me in the booth meeting and another fellow director as well. And, um, even they looked at me like, is this possible? Is this truly possible? You know? And 
it was right then and there that I knew I'll, you know, if I had to take this on by myself, I, I, I would. And I told the president after the meeting, I said, I mean, he straight up said, look, I don't know how to run with this. So if you think you can do it, I'm going to hand it to you. And I said, hand it to me and I'll, I will take this on. And, and, uh, so that was January of this year. And our, our event was planned for the spring. It just happened on April 1st. And then communicating back and forth with Warren during that, those four months, um, behind the scenes, I was, I was strategizing and working on how I could come up with some money. And I knew I could raise the money. I, 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 I knew I, I felt comfortable I could raise a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. But that's even audacious, man, because you're typical, you know, when we to give people context, you people, the way that people raise money in the hunting space right now is through a banquet mechanism. And in the banquet mechanism, you typically auction off uh, items, right? It's belts and guns and huts. Nobody really, there's been a couple, but it's not common. It's very uncommon to auction off an idea. Yes, you had an experience tied to the idea, but let's be honest, this was just like a an idea that someone had to really fall in love with in terms of the purpose and they're not paying a hundred grand that we were hoping for to go be next to a rhino. Let's be no, honest. No, one hundred percent. You 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 were right. Um it uh it took on a whole new yeah, it's never been done before. Let's just put it that way. And I knew it had not been done before. And I, I didn't want the word out, to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't know if it would be received well, number one. Number two, I didn't want it to get stolen if everybody thought, hey, that's a great idea. You know, it's, it's completely outside of the box on, in terms of what any other hunting-based conservation group has ever done on their fundraising side. In my 20-plus years of being in the in the in this industry and in this line of work, I'd never known anybody to do anything like this. <laughs> and um, I don't know, it just kind of seemed like the all the dots were kind of lining up to connect, you know, meeting Mr. Rippon two years prior and learning about his work and his efforts to recognizing that this is this story is not being told. This work is not being being recognized here in the United States, you know. And, um, you know, Robbie speaking to you on the phone the other day and having a pretty direct conversation back and forth, I think you and I stand on the same page that we both agree that more needs to be done, you know, more outside (laughs) of the box, you know, that these conservation groups do amazing, wonderful things, you know, for conservation here, but they tend to forget about some things or they tend to not want to recognize. And I don't know why that is. I'm sure they have their explanations and their reasons, um, you know, but we, we can't win this war, uh, hunter versus anti-hunter or hunter versus non-hunter by just the continuation of pointing fingers at each other. And that's what's happening. That's what I see is happening. You know, um, it's kind of like just the rest of our government right now in the United States that everybody's sick of watching. You know, between yeah, we definitely need to get on the same. We got to get on the same page, and um, you know, so yeah, we. Um, I told Warren, I said, Warren, we're going to do this, and I, I'm going to put my heart and soul into it. I've got the blessing of my chapters on the board of the chapter, which I've served on the DSD South Texas board for seven years since it started, and um, so we we've been a growing chapter. Never did we think about doing anything like this in the past. And uh, COVID definitely hurt our chapter over the past last couple of years in terms of fundraising. And, um, you know, when we released the item, the custodianship as an item in our live auction and started to announce that all of a sudden we started to see our our event take off in terms of sales. You know, mm-hmm. prior to COVID, our but, largest event was right close to 400 people. And that was, that's big for a chapter. Sure, sure. Next thing you know. How we, many people did you have on, on Saturday? We were sold out at 600 people. Amazing. 
Amazing. I, you know, I don't know if it's because of the Rhino custodianship. I don't, I'm not going to say that that's what it was. You know what I mean? I think people are coming together yeah. more and more now to realize, um, you know, it's time to get out and about. It's time to do things. But it yeah. was certainly, and I know it was an eye catcher um, because a lot For of people sure. you know, personally reached out to me to want to know more about it. Like, what exactly was it? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to be clear, it was a custodianship. You know what I mean? It was not a, yeah, not a rhino hunt. It was not, uh, even though Vorn was very, very generous to offer up a Cape Buffalo hunt to go with it and a very special rare opportunity to be part of a translocation that has been, that, that he has in the works, you know, um, to happen again, quite possibly the last one. And um, so... Well, Blake, let me let me stop you for a second. Let me bring Vaughn in, Vaughn in for a second. Vaughn, going into the into the banquet, obviously, Blake has has put this idea forward. He's taken it on. He's got this mantle. He's doing you know the behind the scenes work in terms of trying to raise the money. But it's still a huge gamble. Honestly, I want your honest feelings. What did you think going into this? Were you like? Okay, I'm I'm hoping to get twenty out of this. I'm hoping at least something. What what we honestly what what were your thoughts? Okay, well, <laughs> as Blake as Blake describes, from he didn't give us a lot of time. He said you because I'd already been to the states twice, and he said, well, you got to come back on the first of April for the San Ant- for the South Texas chapter banquet. And I thought, yo, it's a uh, a hell of it's an investment call, but, and a big time suck, right? Yeah, but I knew I knew we had to get the material, and um, so that's where my daughter Hannah came in, and she's literally sat. I said to Hannah, "We've got to find these two. The, I mean, I'm going back to why this project is. So foundations, we need the foundation cows. We've got to look after those cows to get to those magical numbers. You know, the bulls aren't going to do that for you, but the cows are." So I said to Hannah, listen, you need to get us like a video that's next level. And two weeks later, she went out with a wonderful photographer and they had three charges and they got this amazing footage of Black Rhino. And you don't see this footage around uh, under every tree. And I think that, you know, so we're going to the mother, we're going to, um, we're talking about the foundation cows and and I, I, I thought maybe through this channel we we might touch on some heartstrings. When I saw this video, I, I thought we've got a chance here. And I thought my 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 ambition, not my ambition, my target was a million bucks rand. Okay, if you divide that by eighteen, you get to fifty thousand odd. Okay, so fifty thousand dollars. Yep. I said to Pops, I said to Anna, listen, we it's fifty thousand dollars and a million bucks here. Can, you know, we just, as I said, put on rhino collars. Uh, yesterday we did 10. And we got to go, but more importantly, it's we're going to connect with the right people. And from, from, from here, who knows what could happen? You know? mm-hmm. and, and that's exactly, so that's the sort of attitude we took. And we had some great moments because Blake's a hard man to get hold of. No and, way, uh, <laughs> Blake. Blake doesn't respond to text messages. He doesn't respond to phone calls. Come on, this is not the Blake I know. <laughs> no, if you get hold of Blake, you're doing well. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so got on the plane, and we—I mean, I got back here with it. We spent more time in the air than than at in San Antonio in the in the six days. It was crazy because we had to do these rhinos uh, yesterday. So it was. Unbelievable! There was no jet lag on either side, and <laughs> and I promise you, Blake. I kept saying to me, "Don't worry, we've we've got this." And uh, testament to the man, it was it was the most euphoric evening. I think as I've said, I've had two like this in my life. When it's almost an out of body experience, I was like standing with my daughter, and you know this thing just went crazy, and uh, it was humbling. It was it was unbelievable. I can't tell you the emotions that went through me, and I've still been on a kind of a just a. I'm kind of feeling like Jack, all this work's been so worth it when it's been recognised like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Blake, clearly you raised 
you must for him to be euphoric you must have hit that that million rand fifty thousand dollar mark right i think we hit it times i don't know what it equates to an african rand but i don't know it's got would it be close to a billion born i wouldn't know what the money is <laughs> 10 Not million <laughs> 10 times 10 million no, 10, 500 thousand so dollars a half a million uh, U.S. dollars. Yeah, that's right, Robbie. Um, I still um, got to pinch myself. I mean, it's not, it's not even been a week. No. I'll be real honest with you. I think I stressed myself out so physically and mentally. I, I really have not been myself the last uh, the last five or six days. I, uh, I you know. Well, you took this burden on, man, and. When you take that burden on, you take the burden on raising the money. Yeah, I took it all on by myself. I mean, I I, I wanted no interruption on this, even from my board. Uh, you know, I mean, when you get too many people together, there's too many opinions. And I, I knew that, and, and my hat's off to the entire board of DSC South Texas. They, I share this with all of them. But I wanted no interruptions because, you know, I, I like I said in the beginning, and, you know, I, I even, you know, Fifty to a hundred thousand was definitely my goal. My goal, my goal personally was a hundred thousand, which is I know big, you know, and I knew that that would make a big statement. But I kept telling myself that it, it would personally behind the scenes that it, it would take something like this to reach beyond just our core group of hunters to you know, get <laughs> people to accept something like this. I, you know, I think we all know that the non-hunting community is a large community. You know, I'm talking about the anti-hunting community. I'm talking about the non-hunting community. And the people that came forward are non-hunters. They don't hunt. But they do. They are stewards of the land here in, in Texas. And they own property here in Texas. And they do know what a role hunting does play in, in conservation. And they do understand what sustainable utilization is. But even then, I this person, this group, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't have them in mind in the beginning. I think it's amazing. I think God puts us in certain places truth, truly at, at the right times. You know, I think even how yeah. Lauren and I came together and I think that's how even me and, and the buyer of this, of this custodianship of that auction item that night even came together and I, I crossed paths with her in, in uh, early February at, a, at the San Antonio Livestock Show and Rodeo, which is a very large event here. It's the city's largest fundraiser basically for the kids. And um, ran into her, I've known her, we've been friends for several years and she has attended our DSC South Texas Gala in the past. I think she attended our second year. Uh, second or third year in the past and um but hadn't hadn't attended the other ones the most recent ones and um shared with her that we had had our event coming up and invited her to to, uh to be a part of it if she was going to be in town and and um she graciously asked if there was anything she could actually donate you know i didn't even even say anything about custodianship at the beginning but then she finally asked what 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 we had this and that and i threw that out to her and um i could tell that it piqued a strong interest and uh she said um that she might like to be a part of that and i said well if you would if you're serious about being a part of it i'll make sure you have an invite to our event and then that was it. I didn't hear another word till about a week before our event. I had tried to get a hold of her. I had sent her lots of information that Vaughn and Hannah had sent over regarding video that he just talked about, regarding information mm-hmm. about Buffalo Kloof, regarding information about the last, you know, the first translocation they did. I mean, it was silence, 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 silence. And I think that's when the stress began to set to set in. I had even, I had even gone ahead and and mentioned to uh born when i saw him at the sci convention in nashville that hey quite possibly has this opportunity that's that uh has come come forward and i i hate to speak too soon but i do know this person very well and uh 
then she went so silent on me. I thought, oh my gosh, I've opened my mouth and I've, you know, I've totally just, you know, I'm going to fail with this. Really, I, I started a started a backup plan, and um, and that was to to go back to my original plan of raising fifty to a hundred thousand. And uh, I will never forget the day I was at, visiting my mother at her house. It was around lunchtime, and I got a text message about three days before the event, four days before the event. And the text message just said, "My word is golden. I'll see you." on Saturday night. And I, Amazing. I, I, but even at that time, we, we still didn't know that it was going to bring what it brought. <clears throat> there, were obvi- there were obviously, you know, people in the room that showed up for that. Because when that, when that item hit, I don't know, Warren, how would you express it? It was like, you know, the auction started and I was the MC for the night. When the op- yeah, you did the hell of a job. Unbelievable well, thank job. you so much. But when the auction started, started off pretty slow you know and i you know just like any other banquet you don't have a guarantee on you know i think people show up i I honestly think most people show up at these fundraisers just looking for a deal you know right and it and so the beginning of those auctions can start off slow like that until you know until it gets going and the custodian the rhino custodian ship was lot number 11 out of 27 lots and the first three lots it was pretty bleak, you know, and, and then it started to pick up a little bit. We got to lot number six, five or six, and it was a leopard donation by Dezombo Safaris, Yopsi Blau. And it brought $42,000. And I thought, okay, people are waking up. And when we got to lot to 11, I don't know, Warren, what would you say? It was chaos. I couldn't keep up with, I couldn't keep up with, with uh, <laughs> I couldn't keep up with it. I even had to finally jump off the stage, and uh, <laughs> even my mom, God bless her, got in on the bidding and was and got way up there. I don't remember what her last amount was, but I think I stopped the stopped the auction and looked at the auctioneer and was. I think my statement literally was, "My mother's spending my inheritance. What, what the world is going on?" You know, and uh, we got to. I mean, it, it's it passed a hundred thousand. And then it passed 200,000 quick. And then I thought to myself, whew, you know, this is really happening. I couldn't see Vorn's face, even though he was close to the front. Uh, well, I wasn't in my body, as I told you. So I can't really tell you what yeah. happened. <laughs> I think we got around, we got around, I don't know, or 400,000 or close to 400,000. And, and the, the bidder stopped the auction and asked, had me ask the room that if everybody in the room would donate two hundred and fifty dollars, she would match it and she would give five hundred thousand. Holy smokes! Yeah. Can you believe and, it? And uh, you know, it was a little. You know, I would say half the room stood up. You know, for the fifty dollar yeah. commitment, which you know that's that's great. Um, and um, yeah, she gave. Uh, she gave. A half a million dollars, and I would love to give her name on this podcast. She has given us permission to give the name of her foundation and a press release to go out. I didn't ask if I could use it anymore, Robbie, but I will certainly find out about that and pass this off. No, that's fine. No, no, she doesn't. You know, you know, she's she's doing it for the right reasons, and she's not doing it for ego. She's not doing it for fame. Not at all. And um, what an incredible freaking a half a million dollars. Well, a legacy, Experience. right, Warren? This is legacy I, stuff. Robbie, that was, that was, no, listen, I'm saying I'm still walking on eggshells. It was, I then, I then realized that I've got half a chance of succeeding at what I want to do. You know what I mean? And I've been telling my wife and she's saying, she's, you know, you, why don't you just slow down a bit? But I've seen this place. I've seen this property because we fly. We've got to put it in here, and we're busy with it now. And I mean, it's it's just it's like a wonderland, you know. Uh-huh. So that's the reason. It's not about there's there's not money in this business. I promise you. I said to Hannah often because we know, you know we go to the shows and we're trying to sell hunts, and it's not easy to sell hunts in South Africa. And um, and also one of the reasons that I wanted to do this was to showcase that South Africa has some extraordinary places to go. You know, we we get a bit of slack because of 
the high fences and some areas and you know small areas blah 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 but we have some ex extraordinary places too so <laughs> i don't want to showcase south africa too because um but i just going back to everything it, it um i realized then that that i'm on the right path and and as blake said earlier it's like almost like my belief and and like god pitched up at the right time I, i'm telling you not pitched up but it was just amazing because i'm not lying to you a year ago i said to hannah if we go back to the shows and it's any harder and tougher than it was last year and okay we'd come out of COVID, and i said i'm done you know i, I don't know and um I'm not lying to you, since I've sort of collaborated with DSC and, and Blake, um, we've got some great, you know, spin-off, not spin-off, but just some exposure, which, which we desperately need, you know. And you know that as well. I mean, we've been there how many years. Um, because this is a really, really special place. And, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm so, I'm elated because, as and when you come down here, you'll understand. That 100%. It's just. It's an extraordinary place. Yeah. Well, it's an extraordinary it project. Yeah. It's an extraordinary project, extraordinary vision uh, that needed an extraordinary effort by someone that recognized the value. Number one being Blake. Number two being the lady and the foundation that stepped up and said, we're putting our money where our mouth is and that we believe in wildlife conservation. We, don't we do not hunt ourselves, but we understand the need for sustainable use to conserve wildlife. And um, I know, Warren, we, you know, we've been chatting for, I don't know, maybe a year now, the first time we connected. Um, but I can promise you that you know, we talked about your story being a good story and how you blend ecotourism and hunting and sustainable use on Buffalo Kloof your story just got a million times better if it wasn't good enough already. Um, and no, thank you. I, you know, from a Blood Origins perspective, I told you back then and I told you at the shows that we're, we're certainly still, we were keen to tell your story. We're, we are keen to tell your story still. And we are here in whatever capacity we can help with. That's what we were built for. And I told Blake the same thing on our phone call three days ago. Um, you tell us how we can benefit you and benefit Blake and benefit the story and benefit the amazing, amazing outcome of just good people doing good work for wildlife, regardless of whether or not you believe in hunting, you hate hunting, whatever it is. This is yeah. a good thing for wildlife. It's phenomenal. Um, it's absolutely phenomenal, you know. <clears throat> You know, we've got this property that's, as I say, it's amazing. And I can do two things. I can either go into ecotourism and put a 50-bedroom lodge up. That needs, you know, four chefs. That needs 15 people to clean the place. That needs six land cruisers. Um, and so your, your footprint on the earth and your, and your you know, your, your whole, the whole concept to me, Buffalo Kloof is a property that doesn't deserve that. And that's why I've gone for that so we design houses to stay in, designed around the hunter first, and the eco people love it. Um, and our, our animals are, I mean, you, can, you know, they're incredibly, they're not, they're not exposed to we hunt properly off vehicles. So it's, it's when you come here, you can do both. And um, it's just, you know, I don't know really what, I just think you really say that um, to the lady that, that put her hand up, um, um, she's an amazing, amazing person, amazing woman. And, and I said at the, at the start, I just, after Hannah spoke at the, the, at the gala, at the banquet, the first thing I said was, if something happens to me, you know, because a lot of people sort of, this is a, yeah, if you, if you put, this is a, this is a lifetime thing. This is going to go for hundreds of years. So. Mm -hmm. If something happens to me, there, that daughter of mine, Hannah, and I've got, I've got the youth here working for me. You know, I'm an old guy, so it's for them, <laughs> not for me. I mean, I, I want to go and lie by the sea, but <laughs> I'm just saying, this is for the youth. This and and Hannah's got the right kind of. She loves it. She's she's consumed by it, and 
So the future is bright as long as we can keep our animals safe. Uh, I've always said if we lose our critically endangered species, let's say we lost all our rhino, we lost our leopard, we lost our cheetah, we lost our elephants. Who's going to come here? Who is going to visit Africa? Because everybody's got a mountain. And we have to look after these animals because that, that, they bring the tourists. They don't come see you and me. They come and hunt for the animals, and they come and see the animals. So we have to, these are our golden, these are like our pharaohs, and, and, and this government of ours has let us down. And we, we have to, if, if we don't look after animals, nobody, we're going to be the forgotten continent. <laughs> yeah, we'll sit. Uh, and I think that, it's, that's uh, globally, Rod. I think that, I think what we've done here is, again, you know, I know within our own South Texas community, you know, uh, one thing we failed to recognize, Robbie, is we had the CEO of the San Antonio Zoo in attendance that night. Yeah, Tim. And had a, had a fantastic conversation with him following what happened at the end of the night. And I have some actual follow-up meetings with him. You know, they see the future just like Warren described it. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the human body that's going to be able, it, or we're the only ones that are going to be the custodians of wildlife for the future on all fronts. You know, and, and again, that's, why yeah. I think it's so critical that the hunting communities figure out ways, better ways, better ways to communicate and go hand in hand with the non-hunting communities because it is up to the human population to take care of uh, take, take care of this the wildlife around the, the globe in its habitat. Hey, 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 hey. Well, look, you both are absolute legends. Um, I know Warren is needing to jump in a helicopter to go track down rhino poachers, uh, sort of testimony again wow. to the project. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled to call you both friends, uh, to be involved in this, to add out, you know, a, an ability to showcase this amazing, amazing effort on a global platform like this podcast. Uh, so again, if there's anything else we can do please don't hesitate to reach out and uh warn good luck with the poaching uh and blake thank you hey man that's all we can say i don't I, you know thank you robbie and thank you warren and um you know I, you always hear the old testament of you know if you follow your dreams and work hard at and follow your passion those things come through come true and last right. saturday it yes. came true for i think everyone involved in this mission and it's a passion so i'm just honored to be able to that Bourne gave me the opportunity. He trusted me, and and um, we move forward now, and we, we continue on together, and, and we fight for what's right. So thank you, Robbie. Perfect. Legends. Thank you. Robbie, thank you. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.